Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the GQ podcast, Career Decisions. My name is Stuart McGurk, and I'm GQ's Associate Editor. We're at Farmhouse Down, a cosy cottage in the heart of Soho Farmhouse in Oxfordshire, where we'll be grabbing the stars of our GQ Heroes event, taking them through the biggest moments of their careers, the decisions they've made, and the lessons they've learned. On this episode, two-time Olympic gold medalist, Victoria Pendleton. Victoria, welcome on the GQ Heroes podcast. Um, let's start at the beginning. Um, do you remember the first time you literally got on a bike of any sort? Um, I, I can't specifically remember when when that was, but my I remember the the days of trying to have the stabilisers removed. <laughs> I have a twin brother and he had already learned to ride without stabilisers and there was an immense pressure for me to also ride without stabilisers. So I remember my dad really encouraging me and be like, you can do this. And I'd be like, but why do we have to take them off, dad? Why? The bike stands up. I don't have to balance it. Uh, so that I, I wasn't really sure about you know the importance of it, but... So you you know if if maybe if they hadn't have come off then like no, no, mean, nothing else would have happened exactly since. my my cycling career would have stopped right there in its tracks yeah it's well it's it's definitely hard to do a track race with the stabilizers yeah you, you wouldn't get a lot of speed really <laughs> you wouldn't get a lot of speed but the positive side is you would never have to worry about finding a place to put your bike down That's because true. it's already standing up exactly can't get scratched easily there <laughs> we are should, some bonus we should bring points. them back bring back the tricycle yes. <laughs> um, how did it go from from there? Do you remember when it it went from riding a bike like anyone else to really riding a bike? Well, I didn't realise um, that I was in training. To be perfectly honest, to start with, my dad had a, a tandem that I used to go on the back of from the age of six, and because I was so small, he had to screw wooden blocks to the pedals so that I could reach them because the back of the tandem was not small enough for my size build. So, yeah, I had wooden blocks and then the pedals, the toe clips and straps screwed onto the top of the wooden blocks so that I could reach them. And, yeah, I probably wasn't applying a lot of force, but I was still going out for 40-mile bike rides with my dad. Oh, right, okay. Sat on the back. Wow. So I was in training without really realising it was just something we did, just to... Or on some days, just in sitting. Yeah. And my dad be like, are you pedalling? And I'd be like, <laughs> yes, dad, I think so. I think I'm pedalling. On a tandem, it's quite hard to tell where the uh, 
the effort's coming from. Yeah. Uh, I think he just liked the idea of me being safe, for example, as a young child, like not being uh, vulnerable on the road and, and being with him. So it was just a way of us spending time together. So where would you go on on, on these bike rides? What well, would be a typical ride? It would be just around the country lanes of, of where I grew up in Bedfordshire. So through into Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire and lots of chocolate box villages and very quaint English countryside and just getting out and about. My dad was always really good with his sort of natural history and he'd be like be able to name all the plants and birds and trees and he would always be informing me of those things just as a sort of educational thing as well. Yeah. It sounds very wholesome, doesn't it? It is very wholesome. Yes. Um, so would, was your dad more... I got, like, I got a chocolate bar and a cup of tea halfway around as well. Right, like, so... It wasn't all hard work. <laughs> so for, for your dad, would, would you say he was a... Like a keen cyclist, or was it more of a sort of way to see all those things that you've just described? Well, my father's involvement with cycling started off just sort of touring around as a a sort of teenager. I think when he was 14 or 15, he started to go on bike rides just to explore the country. And I think he is someone who enjoys being on his own. Like he is quite happy to spend some time by himself. But also, I think he was really craving a freedom to go and and be independent as a 14-year-old. Mm. So he got himself a bike and he'd pack it up and he'd travel all over the country. He later got involved with a cycle club and training and racing and was a domestic cyclist for, for many years. He's, he's been national champion before and he used to do a lot of hill climbing and road racing. I think he still may hold a couple of hill climb records in the UK. So it was his passion, it was his pastime, and he was quite good at it. Yeah. So on, on, on a in a national level, he was quite well known. Um, he That's, always worked full time, though. However, so he, he never right, could take on professionally. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that thing of just the idea of liking the solidarity of it. Like when when you got a bike that only had one saddle, mm-hmm. um, was, was that part of it for you? Did you did you like the kind of the the solidarity mm, and getting no. getting away from it all of Not going on a bike time. ride? No. Not at the time. Interestingly, um, I mainly used to ride my bike because it was a social thing to do and to spend time with my dad and he was always out on his bike so if you wanted to see him then it would have to be on two wheels um and I my relationship with my father was very important and that was the thing we had in common so for me cycling was very much a necessity in many ways to maintain my family relationships right um because it is my dad's number one passion it's the thing that he can't imagine life without it's like breathing to him yeah and if you want to spend time with him, then that was, you know, that's what you had to do. Um, and he really reveled and enjoyed sharing that experience. It wasn't about, it, it was like he wanted me to enjoy it as much as he enjoyed it. And that was his motivation to get us out there and, and yeah. involved. Um, so when did you realise you were, uh, for want of a better phrase, good, good? When I became world champion in 2005. You didn't realise before no, then? No, honestly. I, I mean, my dad you always... You must have realised before then. My dad saw me race, I think, when I was about... I think it was 15 or 16. And he said that my acceleration and, and, and how I sort of completed the race was phenomenal. It was like a, a sprint. And he goes, the speed you were going was... It was really impressive. And I was like, yeah, but you're my dad. And that's what dads are supposed to say. Oh, you're brilliant. Yeah, I know. Of course, yeah, that's that's what dads do, right? So I didn't really believe him. Or I didn't, I didn't, it's not that I didn't believe he thought I was good. Of course he thought I was good. I'm his daughter. I didn't think that the words were necessarily valid in a wider sense. Yeah. It was just a like, 
dad being a nice bloke. Um, it wasn't until I, my talent was identified externally by a professional uh, coach that I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I do. But even then, I was it, the feeling towards me was very divided. There were certain people who thought I had potential and other people who thought that I, I lacked what it, what it takes, being a small frame, being quite fragile, perceivably like emotional or you know maybe too nervous and um so is this- I didn't look I don't look resilient from the outside people look at me and go no she is not someone who's going to stick it when it's at its hardest but uh, how does think, one look resilient? Well, just robust. I guess right. robust and resilience are two things that people tend to think come together right. always. Okay. So a bigger, stronger framed individual, maybe less because, you know, I am co- people always surprised how small I am and feminine. And, and they're like, oh, you, you, yeah, you look a lot bigger on the television. <laughs> I like, I'm eternally disappointing to people. Like, I'm sorry for not being a beefcake. I wish I was too. I'd love to be intimidating. A bit better than the other way around though, isn't it? Well, You're a lot bigger in person. I don't think that anyone wants that. No, this is true. This, this is probably true. Yeah. But I would, I mean, genuinely, I've been on like a, I've always wanted to be an intimidating individual. The idea of being intimidating is like, wow. <laughs> like, oh, there, look at her. Isn't she formidable? Now, then that would be fantastic for a change. Well, you've always wanted to be a, an intimidating individual. Yes. <laughs> where, uh, yeah, kind you, of everything. You need to unpack this a bit. Where did, where, where did that start? How, how did that come about? I think deep down, I do have a tenacity and I can tap into it when it counts. I don't have it every day. I'm not going to say I can access it every day. But when the chips are down and I'm at competition, I can be this person. I can channel my energy and focus and be like, I'm going to be here till the bitter end. And I've got that inside and I know know that it's there. And I guess it's it's not like I have to prove myself, but it's almost like, it is almost, I have to prove to myself it's still there. And I think the tenacity and being intimidating and all those things that come together, it's almost, I don't know, maybe justifying it or solidifying it as something truthful, honest, rather than being like a fraud the whole time. Um, I don't know. There's definitely a bit of confusion in my identity. I think because I have always been so many different things all at the same time, I'm not even sure where I fit in. Or who I relate to. I'm kind of like a boy that looks like a girl who's quite fragile, but also really tenacious. It's just a lot of idiosyncrasies and conflicting. Yeah. I'm I'm interested in that thing, just going back to this idea of what a cyclist frame should be. Mm. Is... Or an athlete's frame. An athlete's frame. More of an athlete's frame. Is 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 that now an an outdated notion, or is there still that? Is there still that thought? Um. They would still look for someone who is naturally more of a mesomorph, so someone who's naturally more muscly for as a sprinter, because you know people who are mesomorphs and have who carry high lean muscle mass naturally are going to be an advantage if you're weight training, if you're in a power sport, that's what you want. You wouldn't choose a skinny weightlifter. Mm. You want someone who's got some solid muscle structures, good origins and insertions on their muscles, like strong. Yeah. What what you would perceive as strong. So, so going back to your, well, and maybe even going forward to your the incredible success, is it if if you haven't been kind of gifted that, then is what is your success down to 
almost that force of will that I you're think talking it about? Is. I think probably my tenacity and my ability to focus is my sort of two key strongest attributes, I'd say. Um, I also have a very low drag coefficient. Right, that's, that sounds like it helps. I spend a lot of time like in a wind, wind tunnel. <laughs> means I don't, you know, I'm very aero, naturally aerodynamic. <laughs> Not something everyone can say. Well, there we are. <laughs> there we are, naturally aerodynamic. In a bicycle position, I have very that low drag. That could be on a Tinder profile, couldn't yeah, you? Yeah, low naturally drag. low drag. Naturally low drag. <laughs> um, um, let's talk about your, your first gold because people who are not in kind of competitive athletics can't I guess can't even um, imagine it you know the, the it's so it's such a kind of far off mystique kind of thing to win an Olympic gold medal did it did it always seem like that to you as well mm-hmm. as being someone in, inside it oh 100% you're at the Olympic Village People were like, oh, how fun. It must be brilliant. There's all these parties going on, apparently. None which I was invited to. <laughs> um, so you're in an environment of highly stressed individuals at the pinnacle of their sporting career, desperate to achieve something that they have maybe spent their whole life working towards. It's not a nice environment to be in. You are filled with anxiety, with fear, with doubt, with um, you know, intrepidation. Your, your, your emotions are running high. You can't take it even in. So it's like a very vague experience, a very dreamlike experience. And you look back on it and think, did that actually happen to me? Well, I, well, I was... The lack of presence. Yeah. So you watch it and I was like, I did that. I actually did that cycling thing once. It does not feel real to me. That's what I was going to ask, because I, I, I would imagine it would either be one or two ways that you either remember it in detail of everything or it's all a bit of a blur. It's a bit of a blur. Right. It's a lot of a blur. You're focused so much on the one task in hand that you don't stop and use your senses in, in many ways. It's just like, this is a process. I do A, then I do B, then I do C, and hopefully we come out with the right out- outcome. Yeah. It's like following an instruction manual. There's no colour. There's no kind of, you, you know, you look back and there's certain things you can remember, like you're the, the fact that the noise made your rib cage vibrate like you're next to a speaker. But... Ultimately, it's all very, very blurry because your adrenaline was so high. Everything was on high, high alert that you were just surviving it. Mm. You weren't taking it in and enjoying it and reveling in it. So what about Beijing particularly? What what do you remember clearly? What What is not blurry in that way? It was very grey and it rained a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was it was quite serene and calm. Um, yeah, I remember putting my waterproofs on a lot, but I, yeah, I don't really. And, I and feeling, winning, winning itself, like yes. putting the gold medal around your neck. I didn't. It was strange because I was in the form of my life, and you hear about the athletes talking about the one moment in their career where everything just worked, mm. and I was like, I can, I seem to be able to do no wrong today, and that is the most incredible feeling but so untangible and just so hard to explain and put into words it was like I pressed on the pedals and they just turned faster than they've ever turned before and I felt nothing no pain in my legs no fatigue I was like this is insane it's like being a superhero it is like being a superhero for a day and you just can't wait to get out there and express all that energy in in the way that in all the effort you've put in you want to get it out and use it um 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It was the most, yeah, it was the most remarkable sensation physically. Um, but yeah, very big blur. Um, one of the things we'll, we'll get on to London 2012 in a second, but one of the things that's been said about you is that you have a, a love hate relationship recycling. Mm. Is that a, a, a cliche? Is that fair? Mm. So cycling isn't a sport that is particularly gets me kind of thrilled about, mainly because it's my day job. Like I don't think, oh, you know, I must sit down and watch that race, or I love this. Oh, it's so brilliant. I happened to be good at it so I pursued it because it gave me opportunities that took me into places that people don't generally get to access representing your country and pulling on a national jersey and standing on the top of a podium listening to your national anthem is something that I hold very very dear and it is I feel very blessed to have been given these opportunities and to have experienced it Mm. because it is a remarkable um, and wonderful feeling um However, if it had been another sport, it may have been the same story. It wasn't about two wheels and a bike. It was just about me exploring my potential. And I, you know, there were times when my dad was very forceful in how he trained me or pushed me towards races. And I hate competing. I'm a competitive person with myself. And that's why I push so hard. However, being in an arena and trying to prove you're the best in the world at something is very stressful <laughs> and you know the, the minutes before you go to a, a start line an Olympic final is a horrible feeling I mean <laughs> oh you just want to rip your heart out and be the, the ground to swallow you up because yeah. of the, the pressure and the, you know the nerves the nerves of it the anxiety of it um, and you want to be there you're like I chose to be here why does it feel so fun <laughs> And it always feels bad because the stakes get higher. You get fitter and the stakes get higher. It always feels bad. Um, and then is it the more the more you achieve, then the harder it is exactly. because the more you've got to live up to. You've got the more to, lo- more to lose. It's your, when someone says, oh, this is your race to lose, you're like, oh, <laughs> Didn't need <yeah."> that. <laughs> so that, that, that kind of pressure and expectation is, is quite, it's unpleasant. There's no doubt about it. Mm. And then you have to take yourself back and say, this is entertainment. <laughs> Riding around in circles is entertaining for people. They like watching it because it's fun and it's exciting. No one's going to die. So, you know, you have to keep reminding yourself of this in this, yeah. this, this bubble of intensity. But I love, so I hate the racing. I love training. Having a goal to work towards and breaking it down and you go into the gym. 
you put like two and a half kg on the bar. So the two smallest weights, one, one and a quarter on each end of the barbell. And you've never lifted it before, like never lifted this weight before. And you address the bar and you think like, right, shoulders over the bar, shoulders over the bar, brace your back, neutral spine, head up. And you lift it and you've never lifted it before. And it's like, tick, I'm better than I was yesterday. I'm better than I was last week. And that's progression is what makes me tick. I'm like, yes, I'm learning, I'm building, I'm becoming better every day, every week. And sometimes it plateaus, but on the whole, you're, you're just chipping away in the tiniest fractions to be better. Yeah. And I feel privileged to have existed like that and to have created a physical form of a version of myself that was extraordinary. Yeah. You know, it was superhuman. Yeah. And to, that's I, that's a blessing. To, to go back to what you were saying, it, it seems, do, do you think like a lot of like elite level athletes because so much of it is having exactly that mentality and having the, as you said, the kind of mentality that you can have of of just wanting to kind of block everything out mm. and wanting mm. to, to succeed, that actually most elite-level athletes could have been doing a completely different discipline than the one they ended up doing, but still be elite in that. 100%. I think a lot of it's about mindset. It's more perhaps, as long as you have a, phys- a physical form that isn't completely unsuited to what you do. I mean, there's no point someone of my stature example playing basketball because I'd be not much use in terms of blocking. You know, I just, it would be hard. It yeah. would be hard. Or, or for example, I'm not necessarily a swimmer. I haven't got really large hands and feet and I'm not tall and I'm not that shaped. So there's certain attributes physically that are more suited and will make it an easier passage. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but there are certain things. Mm. Um, but ultimately, if I think you're a fairly average shape, there's lots you could probably diversify and do lots of different sports because it's about how you approach what you do and it's on those days where some people would be like not really feeling it that you go I'm not feeling it but I'm going to get that head on and I'm going to do it yeah. I'm going to do it as hard as I possibly can I'm going to absolutely attack this with an aggression with a with a focus that I will come out the other end and think I did my very best today and that's all I can ask. Yeah. And that's being like that every day, even when you're exhausted, I think is a skill that is transferable to any sport and any kind of preparation. Yeah. Was, as you were saying before, because you're so sort of focused when the Olympics come around, was, was 2012 similarly a, a bit blurry now because oh, of that intense focus? I think 2012 is even more blurry for me. Because, really? because going in from 2008 to 2012 as reigning Olympic and world champion, there was a huge amount of expectation on, on my performance. You know, I was a medal favourite and I'm on home turf and I'm doing one of the sports which everyone likes to be, you know, keeps an eye on. People like to get involved with cycling. It's getting bigger. It's in a growth phase. And I was like, wow, you know, it's not like I'm going to go under the radar here. No. If I blow <laughs> this, I'm blowing it on a massive stage. So, um, yeah, that's even more blurry. Once the newspapers call you the golden girl of British cycling, oh, it's fairly right. hyped up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's almost, almost more blurry because but in that four-year period, you couldn't lift your head without thinking or seeing something advertising or pushing the Olympics in 2012 in London. It was, you could not ignore it. So it was a very intense, intense build up to, to competition. I wanted it so desperately. A home Olympics is a gift from the gods when you're in that phase of your career. However, 
it was unescapable, which is, is hard work, really hard work to manage emotionally yeah. and psychologically. How, how do you look back on on that tournament in terms of, you know, a gold and a silver, which is... I'm disappointed. Are you? Ultimately, I can't watch it. Have you never seen it since? I, I mean, I have had to watch it. And you know what? It's like toe-curling, white-knuckled, cl- like fist-clenching, uncomfortable kind of viewing I cannot do it because I think to myself I I should have been better on that day um you know the silver I should have you know I was so close and I I gave everything I had I really did give everything I had left but I was just so exhausted by the whole experience that I will always be disappointed and the disqualification in the team sprint is incredibly unfair not that there's any point harping on about it because the commissaires have the final decision and apparently it looked like we had the intention of moving out of the lane and I was like well if you get disqualified for appearing to have an intention (laughs) it's a tricky path to go down it's hard it's hard to swallow it's a hard it's a hard pill to swallow where Um, where do you keep your medals out of interest I keep them in a safe I get them out on special occasions. If I've got to go to a school event or oh, people want to see them, nice. I take them out <laughs> and pass them around. And actually, the gold is wearing off the the Olympic, the 2012 Olympic gold medal because it was such a thin layer of gold on that <laughs> lump of silver that people's fingers have worn it off. <laughs> but everyone gets to share a little bit of the gold there, ingrained in the skin. And you can't get it sort of replated because no, it feels like you've made a no, fake exactly, one. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, no. It's it's good that it's a bit chipped and kind of worn it's it shows that it's been appreciated and i think when you put a medal around someone's neck like a, a child puts the medal around their neck you know they ask if it's okay and i'm like yeah sure and the wonder and the delight of it it's worth it dent that thing as much as you like scratch it whatever as long as it's a, it's been enjoyed yeah there's yeah, no yeah. point in keeping it pristine no it does something special handing an olympic gold medal over to a child who it, it loves sport it's uh it's a really wonderful feeling. Yeah. I mean, most people, when they've they've won as, as and achieved as much as you, would kind of feel, I can have a little bit of a rest now, but you decided to then oh. climb Mount Everest. I've got problems. <laughs> I have got actual problems. No, I feel I'm not done. And I don't know Was if it I'll sort of missing the, the, the buzz the almost? Yeah, I think, you know, I love that. That feeling of anxiety is also a feeling of adrenaline. And I find myself chasing things that give me an adrenaline rush, whether it's riding racehorses, you know, riding two-year-old colts at a flat yard is really quite exciting, getting a motorcycle, climbing Mount Everest, learning to surf. Anything that is kind of a bit of a rush, a bit dangerous, is something that I'm definitely drawn towards. Yeah. And what what do you remember from being airlifted out of? of I wasn't airlifted. Oh, I sorry. Down. Oh, okay. Oh dear, Apologies. the tabloids. The tabloids. <laughs> tabloids. Yeah, no, I wasn't airlifted. I um, yeah, I walked down. My stats were low, but I just put an oxygen tank in my rucksack and walked down. Um, it was annoying because I needed all I needed was two more weeks, and I would have probably been okay. But unfortunately, you can't rush acclimatization to the mountain it just needs it just needed some time but the weather was was too good they couldn't wait for me mm. and I wanted them to summit and I didn't want to hold them back do you have any inkling of having another go yeah I do actually watch this space <laughs> is there an actual a, pla- a plan no is plan. have you put something in a diary I've, I've, I have inquired I think I might might go and climb another peak uh, in the end of the summer uh, in the Nepal first so I'm going to head over to the Himalayas I think Wow. <laughs> um, and let's uh, just to, to 
talk about the the horse riding as well um should we take anything from it the fact it's another thing you ride on a saddle yeah <laughs> yeah i think the great thing about the whole i mean i was approached to become a jockey which was most ridiculous um in 12 and a half months having never ridden a horse to jump over national hunt fences at one of the biggest you know jump racing festivals in the country um was a bit crazy but i knew within about 10 minutes of my first horse riding lesson that I was like, this is terrifying and brilliant in equal quantity. And I love animals. I really, I'm a big fan of animals and I've always wanted to ride. And I was like, well, this is as good a chance as any to do it in a competitive way. And I loved it. I've got two retired racehorses um, of my own, which I keep. And I'm, they're retraining them to do eventing. And they are my pride and joy. The, being in the presence of an animal as powerful and as impressive uh, as a as a thoroughbred racehorse is good for the soul. I find it it is joyful. I, it almost makes me feel a little bit queasy. It's so good, like just <laughs> being next to a huge, beautiful racehorse. People, everyone says it feels incredibly therapeutic, mm, don't they? They're, in, they're so in, intuitive. They can't necessarily work stuff out in their brains, but they can feel, and they all have personalities and characteristics and. You know, in the period, that first 12 months of learning to ride, I rode 90, I think 96 different horses in, in that 12 and a half months. And every single one taught me something different. Um, and yeah, the, the, the thing is, it's, it's, it taught me something different about riding, but it also taught me a lot about myself because going from a sport that's highly calculated, you know, we put the air pressure, the air temperature, the, you know, the gear that I'm riding on my bike specifically, my mass, we put it all into this data model. And it somehow works out roughly within a tenth of a second what my performance will be. As long as I hit exactly 50k an hour in the middle of the bend and I I rev out at 165 RPM. Like we know what I'm going to do. Just sitting on a horse with a brain the size of a walnut um, with, you know, 23 other individuals going towards 22 fences. You think anything can happen and you have to just adapt and go with nature and it's a team effort. So you can only enable the horse to your best ability mm. and he can only respond to the best of his ability and you have to just go well let's see how, let's see how this unfolds <laughs> so it goes from complete predictability to really having no idea and just having a final goal that you're roughly aiming towards which is finishing you know not falling off and just taking it as it comes and that's a complete opposite to my previous sport and it has to let me like because I'm a control freak which suits track cycling. Yeah. To being like, okay, I let go. Not literally, I'm holding <laughs> on to the reins very tightly, but you've got to let go and just let nature kind of unfold. Well, that feels like a great point to end on. Victoria <laughs> Prenson, what an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.